The reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And if you needed a copy of the hard copy of the Bible, please raise your hands. Nope. Um, so it's uh, page 839 in the hard copy of the Bible. First, uh, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived in a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfumes on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, and that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 500 dilari and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he he forgave the debt to both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who had even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, hello, hello. Yep. Uh, if you can keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 7, that'd be great. And if you've missed uh, last week, actually the, the sermon was recorded and it was put on the website as well as uh, our app. Um, so do listen to it uh, because this is a new series, um, uh, Meals, Meals with Jesus. And this is the second part of that series. Uh, but let's pray that God will speak to us as we come to this text. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and grace. And Lord, we pray that as we come to your word, that you would feed us and that you would make us full, that we might go and feed uh, feed others. In Jesus' name, amen. 
An American uh, sociologist named um, Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone, where he documents how uh, it was published in 2000. He says that in the previous three decades, there, was, there has been a 33% decrease in families eating together. And around the same time, uh, there was 45% decrease in hospitality, in, in inviting friends, other, other people into their homes in America. He writes, in a typical American household, the average number of dinners eaten together is three per week, and it averages only about 20 minutes per dinner. I don't know what the statistics would be in Hong Kong, but I'd be surprised if it's any better than the U.S. I mean, Hong Kong people seem to be as busy as ever. Uh, in little spare time that we have, we often wa spend watching TV or being on the internet. You've seen pictures, or maybe you uh, know this picture yourself, of people sit seated around the table, but all on their, on their phones. And if we're connected to others, it's often through social media. And because we're connected, Digitally, we feel like we don't have to connect people physically. One of the consequences of all, all of this is that people eat less together. Church families eat less together. Families eat less together. And part of it is just the difficulty of hosting people, right? It's costly. Uh, it's tidying up the house and dealing with inconveniences, freeing up your schedule. And then there are also the, the uh, issues involved... Um, Issues, uh, Hong Kong issues, uh, having a small house, a cultural custom of just inviting people who are very close to you, close family and friends. Hosting people has always been very difficult. And in our story, we see three hosts, people hosting others. Surprisingly, Jesus is a host. You wouldn't think of Jesus as a host, but he is a host. He was a guest first, but he unexpectedly becomes a host when this woman, who's known to live a sinful life, everybody knew what kind of life she lived, came to him with an alabaster jar of perfume. Although she came to Simon's house, Simon doesn't host her. Right? He doesn't even talk to her, but Jesus talks to her. Jesus is with her. The reason why she's allowed to stay at that table at all is because Jesus wants, to, wants her to be there. It's because Jesus, the honored guest, guest, receives her and allows her to stay at the table. He functions as a host to this woman. And this must have been the talk of the town when it happened. I mean, imagine if you invited me to your house and I go and we're eating together and somebody knocks on the door and you open the door and it's a woman with entirely too much makeup and see-through blouse and she asks for me. And when you say, I'm in there eating with you, well, she barges in without an invitation. She says she knows me and she comes in and, and goes straight to my feet. Uh, she gets down and she starts crying and with her tears she starts washing uh, my feet and not only that she then dries my feet with her uh, her hair and that's not the end of it she starts kissing the feet and after she pours a jar of perfume which fills the whole house I mean it would be extraordinarily weird and scandalous if anything like that happened to me. And imagine it happening 2,000 years ago to a Jewish 
rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, which was Jesus, a righteous rabbi whom the people are saying was the prophet. Even now, Hasidic Jews don't relate to women, right? In that culture, letting down uh, your hair the way that she did apparently was something that you only did in the bedroom. I've read that it would be like uh, a woman appearing uh, topless in public. But instead of Jesus being completely embarrassed by her, rebuking her, Jesus lets her be. The way that she was, this prostitute is associated with Jesus because Jesus hosts her. Jesus receives her the way that she is. Jesus covers for her. And look what it cost Jesus. Simon the Pharisee doubts whether Jesus belongs to his table at all. His dignity, his character, his position in the society is all questioned because of what he did for her. And that's grace. But then there is another host, Simon. Simon the Pharisee. He's a terrible host to the woman. He thinks that he's completely embarrassed by her. He doesn't think that she belongs there. He doesn't think that Jesus should receive her. He doesn't, even, uh, uh, he doesn't talk to her. He doesn't lift a finger for her. But it's not just that he's a bad, bad host to the woman. He's a bad host to Jesus. Take a look at what Jesus says in verse 44. Look down there. Verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she poured perfume on my feet. In that culture, as a guest comes in, the host is supposed to put out the water so that they can wash their feet. And the people's feet were really dirty. Now Simon didn't do it. And as the guest comes in, you're supposed to greet that person with kisses. Well, Simon apparently didn't kiss him at all. And we know why he didn't do these things. He was a terrible host because he didn't recognize who Jesus was. And he didn't recognize who himself is in front of Jesus. And that's what that story that Jesus tells reveals, right? He talks of two people who owe a great deal of money. One, 500 denarii, and the other, 50 denarii. And 50 wasn't just a small amount. 50 was uh, about two months worth of wages. 500, uh, maybe a year and a half worth of wages. Right? And uh, because neither of them had any, uh, couldn't repay the debt, lender forgave the debt. And Jesus asked, which of the uh, uh, debtors would love the lender more? And Simon replies, the one who had bigger debt forgiven. You see, even as Jesus is saying these things to Simon, Jesus doesn't see himself in the story at all. He doesn't realize that he's a sinner that needs to be forgiven, right? In, um, he clearly didn't include himself in, in what he said to, about the woman in verse 39. He says, ah, if he's really a prophet, he should know who she is, a sinner. She is a sinner, Simon said. But clearly, he doesn't include himself in that category. He doesn't realize that he is a sinner. And not only that, 
He doesn't recognize that, that Jesus has come to forgive people's sins. That Jesus is the Son of God, God Himself, who came, who forgives sins. Right? In verse 49, as uh, Jesus tells this woman, Your sins are forgiven. This is what other guests, no doubt including Simon, say amongst themselves. Who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? He doesn't understand who Jesus is. He doesn't understand Jesus. He doesn't understand himself, a sinner that needs to be forgiven. So he's not gracious to Jesus. But surprisingly, there's a third host in the story. It's the woman. It's woman at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is saying that this woman hosted Jesus better. Actually, she did the things that Simon should have done as the host. She knows um, uh, it was she who wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. It was she who gave these kisses and couldn't stop. And above and beyond, she pours an expensive perfume at his feet. She was a gracious host. The reason why is clear. She recognizes Jesus as the one who forgave sins. She's, she knows that she knows herself as one who desperately needs the forgiveness. Now let's be clear. It's not because she did these things that she was forgiven. Right? Uh, in the story, the debtor loves the lender because the, the, the debt was already forgiven. And verse 47 makes that clear too. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. She loves greatly because she's already forgiven. She loves Jesus because she recognizes herself as one who owed this great deal to God. And Jesus is God himself who came to forgive her sins. So she threw, down at the, she threw herself down at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him. And here's the thing. In front of Jesus, there's only two choices, right? You're either, you're either like Simon or you're like the woman. You're I, you either come to him pouring out everything that you have uh, before him, crown him as your Lord, uh, and you worship him. You give everything to Jesus because you recognize Jesus and you recognize yourself. Or you're like Simon. You're detached. Perhaps you're asking questions about him. Right? You're asking, who is this man who seems really interesting? But ultimately, your posture isn't one of devotion, of worship. And if we truly recognize who Jesus is, we would all be like this woman. Because the point of the story that Jesus told wasn't that the Pharisee needed just a little forgiveness and this uh, woman needed a great forgiveness. That's not the point, is it? Because if you look at the story carefully, neither one could repay the debt. Neither one deserved what the, the, the punishment. But the lender forgave both. Right? Both were sinners. That's what Jesus is saying. You and everybody else are sinners. And not only that, do you see... The, 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 the depth of Simon's sin in the story, right? We see his self-righteousness. That's ugly. 
It's, it's on full display. And is that that much better than, G, uh, than the woman? Sure, she's not, he's not a public sinner like this prostitute was, right? A public sinner is one everybody recognizes as a sinner. And everybody in the town knew what she did. But as if we've heard through the Sermon on the Mount series, we're all wretched sinners privately. If his private thoughts were on full display, I'm not sure how many people would want to relate to him. Not only that, people then see his indignation and his self-righteousness on top of it, right? His hypocrisy on top of everything. See, Jesus who sees our inward hearts, who saw both the heart of the Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee, as well as this woman, Actually, Jesus finds the heart of this Pharisee much more disgusting, much more unforgivable. In front of Jesus, we're all people who have a great debt to be forgiven, debt that we're unable to pay on our own. I'm not sure which character you identify with more. I identify with Simon Moore in my outward appearance, right? I grew up in the church. I've done all the right things. I want to, you know, I, 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 I can only count uh, my one hand how many times I've missed church. I've done all these things. I'm an outwardly clean, pious person, but I know that that's just the exterior. I know who I am inside. I know my private sins. I know my private thoughts. I know the ugliness of my heart. I know the self-righteousness that, 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 that I see in Simon is just in me as well. When something bad happens to other people, um, when, when other people's sins are revealed, sometimes I just feel self-righteous. Like, I'm, thank God I'm not like him. I'm a person who owed 500 denarii and whose debt is forgiven. I wonder with whom you identify with. And I hope and pray that you will identify with this woman. Because that's who we are in front of Jesus. And I hope you will worship him, that you will give your life to him and all of, all of that, that you are, all of your life, all that you have, and worship Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And friends, in this series, The Meals with Jesus, Part of our devotion, the emphasis has to be that part of our devotion to Jesus has to be our devotion and a love for each other. After all, Jesus brought the Simon, the, uh, the Pharisee, as well as the woman to the same table to eat together. And we need to find time to eat with each other. Most of us say that we love Jesus and we're devoted to him like this woman. But can that really be true? If we love Jesus, but not his bride, not his church, not his people, the people that you see around you. It's like, you know, if you invited me for dinner or lunch, and then you go, well, I don't really like Mary. Barney, I don't really care for, so I'm just going to invite Hugh. Like, that wouldn't make sense. If you love me, you would love my wife, and you would love my children. You would not love my family. As you've heard last week online or today, 
You know, Jesus came to offer forgiveness to all kinds of people and to invite us to eat with him at his table. And he does so much eating and drinking. Uh, last week I, to- I talked about how actually uh, that at every single page of Gospel of Luke, you can find Jesus eating and drinking with people. If you have your Bibles open, actually take a look at the story right before our story in verse 34. In verse 34, this is what they say. The Son of Man came and eating and drinking, Jesus says, but you say, here's a glutton, here's a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's accused of being a glutton and a drunkard so much because he eats and drinks with these people, these sinners, so much. In fact, that's how the church Though uh, the, the people of God is gathered by Jesus inviting people to come and eat with him. And as we have heard last week, he can do that because he can forgive sins. He can make us a new people in him. And just like Jesus, the church continued to eat together. It's uh, continued to host meals for people. Um, not, it's not just Jesus that eats together, right? It's the, it's the church. In the beginning of church history, when the Holy Spirit comes down and fills uh, uh, that, that room and people become Christian, they devote themselves to the apostle teaching, to, the, uh, to, to fellowship, but also to breaking of bread. They come together and they eat together. They eat together as they remember Jesus. And it's not just there. 1 Corinthians 11 actually shows a church that gets, that's getting drunk. That's get, that some people are getting really full. Others uh, are getting hungry. Um, and and uh, Paul says, it, it, solution isn't don't eat together. The solution is eat better. <laughs> there should be more order in this eating. There should be more care for this eating. If you think about uh, who should be church leaders, Paul says the elder of the church has to be, the theological education is not what's required. A seminary degree is not what's required, but one of the requirements for being a church leader is that he uh, be hospitable, be able to host people at his home. The ultimate act of expulsion from church, kicking people out, 1 Corinthians 5.11, means that you stop eating together with that person, Paul says. And Paul goes to Jerusalem, picks a fight with the whole uh, the, the, the council of apostles because Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles. He writes a whole letter, Galatians, addressing this issue. We ought to eat together. Just as Jesus has invited us to his table, we need to start eating together as a family of God because Jesus came to bring prostitutes, tax collectors, Pharisees, teachers of the law, Jews, Gentiles, English and Chinese, Koreans and whatever. He brought us to eat together. Church, in a sense, is a people who eat together. It's what sustains us. It's what creates us. It's what sustains us. You know, church is a theory in your mind, right? It's a who we are as we belong to him. Uh, and it's a people of God. Well, in eating together, that theory, that, that's, that, 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 that idea that's up there is made visible when we eat together. And something special happens when we eat together, doesn't it? And people in Hong Kong, I think, are a whole bunch of Marthas. <laughs> 
We're all doers. We love doing things. I'm a doer. You, you all are doing stuff. We run around doing things. You're doing your homework. You're uh, working. You're networking. You're writing. You're in meetings. You're all doing stuff. But here's what happens when we eat together with friends and family. The task, the thing that you do, becomes the people around you. Right? You're forced to become people-orientated. You're forced to look at people. You're forced to talk to people. You're forced to ask, how are you? And that becomes your task around the table. A writer named Tim Chester puts it this way in uh, the book called Meals with Jesus. He says, hospitality involves welcoming, creating space, listening, paying attention, and providing meals slow things down. Some of us don't like that. We like getting things done, but meals force you to be people-orientated instead of task-oriented. Sharing a meal is not only a way of building relationship, but it's, a, but it, it's not the only way of building relationship, but it is number one on the list. But as we heard in the very beginning of the sermon, we're eating together less. <laughs> less with our family, less with the church family. We don't host, we don't invite, we don't interact with God, with, with, with God and with the people of God. We'd rather watch friends on TV. <laughs> We'd rather check out what our friends are doing on Facebook rather than be with real friends and family. And unfortunately, when we do host, sometimes we host like Simon. We pick and choose. And if we pick and choose the guests, right, even amongst the church, that means only people who are respectable, only people who are likable, only people that you want to be like maybe are invited. The other people who you're sitting next to never get invited. Jesus ate with everybody. He wasn't embarrassed. He let people kiss his feet. He was friends with traitors, disreputable, drunkards, sinners, prostitutes, mentally ill. You know, it's really difficult to be friends with mentally ill. Jesus was a friend to them. He was a friend with those, uh, all those whose lives were a mess. And in this way, as Jesus invited you to his table, He's inviting us to be a family together. So friends, let's eat together. One concrete application of this whole series, I hope, is that you start inviting people to your homes. Uh, if you can't do it in your homes, fine. Do you invite them uh, out to restaurants. Let's start eating together. Let's slow down. And if you can't, if you get one of those invitations, please say yes. Right? I'm in, I've been guilty of saying no to people. Please say yes. Make every effort to get there. And if you can't get to that date, right, could you give an alternative date where you can make it? Let's give the signal that we want to be a family together, that we want to invite people into our lives. Will you host? Because that's how the church is made visible. But one of the reasons why we don't host more. While we don't host difficult people around us, I think, once again, is just a reality of living in Hong Kong. We're drained. We're drained after long hours. Hours of work, and then you have a long commute home. 
uh, you have family business and all the stuff that's going on. All you want to go, all you all you want to do when you go home is just have some silence, watch some TV, and go to sleep. Friends, here is how we can then get emotionally rich, emotionally charged, so that we can do this. Come to the table of Jesus. This communion table is an invitation, right? It's an invitation for Jesus, uh, from Jesus to all of you to say, come, come and rest. Come and eat the table, the feast that I have prepared for you. The debt, think of the grace that has been poured out. Think of the debt that has been canceled and eat from the food that he's prepared So that's what we do on Sundays. We remember what Jesus has done. That's what we do every other week in Shatin Church. We come and feed from the table that Jesus has prepared. His body, his blood that was broken and shed for you. Feed on him that you might be rich. Let's pray. Lord, we... give you great praise and thanks for inviting us to your table for cleansing us for forgiving our debt for calling us your friend and Lord we pray that we'll be people who are fed by that grace that we might be gracious to others and Lord we pray that at the very least as we come to eat uh, from your table that you might make us family, that we might be a people who eat with each other. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.